0: There's a lot of misconceptions about it, whether like if you have anxiety or depression, you're weak, and that's so not true. It's something that people almost belittle at times. And um, I think it really needs to be stressed that it's okay to have anxiety and that it's okay to be sad. We just need to find healthy ways to deal with that sadness and that anxiety. I think a huge issue is just not stopping the negative talk about it. I've been in classes where people are starting to bash those with depression, anxiety, those who are suicidal, and that's, that's something that's obviously not okay. And I think we need to bring more awareness to adults to say, like, this isn't okay. This is something that we need to stop because you never know who's listening to that. You never know who's being impacted by those negative words.
1: Stress is not a bad thing. Sadness is normal, but what happens when these things are prolonged and come in extreme doses? Anxiety is the most common mental health challenge facing teens today, and we want to discuss that topic in today's episode.
0: I'm Jeff Eckert.
1: I'm Jason Brewer, and this is The Thought Factory.
2: The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never The Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org.
0: Glad to have you with us on this episode of The Thought Factory. We're going to jump into our topic here in just a second. If you didn't hear the last episode, it's kind of a companion episode with this one. We talk about students and stress. Today we're talking about students and anxiety. We're going to define what those mean, but if you didn't get that, go back, listen to it. Our next episode, Jason, we've got something that's really been something I've been very interested in for the last couple years. We're going to talk about the Sabbath. Sabbath is about rest. We're
1: asking students about, do they take a rest each week? Do they know how to define what a Sabbath is? Do adults think that students are even interested in in a Sabbath? And so we we... are going to take two weeks and just kind of dive into that topic of sabbath just because it is not something that we talk about necessarily very much or we don't really we look at it as something that's almost on the side of our faith Is like uh, it's optional but yeah did god intend it to be optional
0: i feel like it's one of those topics and subjects that is coming into the forefront of discussion i remember 15 years ago starting to talk to students about money and that was really unheard of back then in a lot of youth ministry circles. And I feel like this certain topic is going to come to the forefront because it needs to. Sabbath is an important concept that all of us are familiar with. But I bet if we sat down in a group of people that were Christians and you said, define what it means to have a Sabbath, I bet you get a different definition for every person. So we're going to talk about how we define it, how we help ourselves and students understand it, and then most importantly, live it out. So we're going to be referencing some research that we've done. And as always, you can download this research for yourselves and get it for free. If you go to neverthesame.org slash trend report, you can get all this information for free. We're going to reference it in most, if not all of our episodes for this season that we're in. So we want to encourage you to get that resource. Several thousand students that we interview and get their ideas and insights on things like stress, like anxiety, like Sabbath, and other things. So neverthesame.org slash trend report. So that's where you'll find the 2019-2020 Adolescents in the Church Trend Report at that website. So go there check that out. Also, another website you need to go to and look up is claimyourcampus2020.com. It's an event happening next summer. I've been traveling quite a bit here in the last season of life, and everywhere I go, people that even aren't familiar with us are hearing about this event, talking about it. We're getting a lot of great feedback. Adults are signing up and getting on board for this important event for our time called Claim Your Campus 2020. We've, um, we've got 50 organizations working with us. Our goal at this event is to equip students to Participate in a weekly prayer group at their school. Know how to verbally share their faith and serve on their campus. This is a middle and high school event next 4th of July. It's over the summer. It's a weekend. It's it's July 3 through 5. We want to see you guys there. This event is going to be amazing. You do not want to miss this. So adults, as you listen to this, how you get there is you become an advocate for a school. You register a school. Help get a group of students there. That group may be 5, 10, 15. It could be more. But getting students there to experience this moment with God and then to be equipped to go back and to reach their schools. We're reaching out, and we want to see 100,000 students from 10,000 schools at this event. You need to be there and be a part of it. So claimyourcampus2020.com is the website. I haven't mentioned in a while, but we do a live advocate coaching every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. Myself, Nicole Smithy, and Amante King, we do that every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. That's on the Claim Your Campus page on Facebook. So I want to encourage you to go there as well. Hang out with us every Tuesday night. Hear the latest, hear what's happening, and be a part of this historic event coming up next summer.
1: Like we've already mentioned, today's episode is about anxiety. We've looked at stress last episode, and today we want to go a little bit more into the aspect of anxiety when we are talking about stress and the pressures that students are experiencing it can go into a realm of anxiety and depression and we wanted to go a little bit further than just the external aspects of what stress is but really looking at the internal origin which what makes up anxiety of uh, this feeling of dread in non-threatening situations that seems to be more played out in your mind and that's why it's a uh, considered a a mental health issue because a lot of the, the things that are going on in your mind is causing this, your, your body to have these anxious feelings and, and dread and thoughts that may not be logical, all of a sudden is just irrational, but you can't settle them down. And so students are experiencing this and we just want to dive deeper into this topic today. And that's exactly what we're going to do.
0: So we talked about stress last time and anxiety. They can cause the same results. That's why a lot of times we lump them together. But they come from a different source or a different place. And that's what's important for us to know right up front in talking about this and the difference between stress and anxiety. Jason, you mentioned it. It's internal. Anxiety is something that comes more from within. Stress is more external. It comes from outside environmental factors. Maybe it's a stressful situation you're put in at school with students or something happening at home, whereas anxiety tends to be more internal in its nature. And uh, so what what we're hearing is from the National Institute of Mental Health, one in five youth has anxiety and one in 10 is experiencing depression. And anxiety disorder is the most common mental health problem in the U.S. uh, at about 20 percent. So a typical age of onset of this anxiety disorder, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, is between 10 and 12 years old happening at a very young age, that's alarming to hear.
1: Yeah, that would be something that would cause me alarm. Like I have a, a an eight year old and thinking he's only a couple of years away from the possibility of being anxious and then that turning into a disorder instead of, of thinking like, oh, I'm not going to have to worry about that in my kid's life. It's like, that's very young. That's a very striking young age.
0: It reminded me just as you're sitting here talking, I remembered that one of our guys on staff, Ryan, on his Twitter feed just this weekend, he had a nine-year-old neighbor come, on, come up to his, I think, three-year-old son and say, boy, I wish I could be born at his age with all the things that I have to deal with at my age. And this is a nine-year-old, and and that's a little bit of a sign of the times, that that these younger children more and more, because of family and environmental issues and factors that are going on, They're being put in situations that they probably weren't meant to handle when they were that young, and they are just having to deal with it. So it is causing a lot of fallout and different things and challenges that they're dealing with. So where does it come from? Well, it can come from expectations from others and themselves. Students are dealing with the expectations of parents, of coaches, of teachers that are demanding... Higher and higher levels of things, especially as they get older and go through high school. If you want to make varsity these days in almost any size school, you got to be completely sold out with all of your time and efforts and travel leagues, etc. Um, parents are saying you got to get good grades because we can't afford to send you to college, which is more and more expensive. So there's that pressure to get good grades. So they're staying up late and doing homework. There, there's a lot of factors when it comes to expectations from the outside, and then that can cause either as a result of that or just because of the nature of the student and their personality and their makeup, they may have that um, expectation coming from within them where they're trying to, to figure out what to do, and they have these expectations that maybe are just, frankly, unrealistic for them to deal with. So that's one of the the places that this anxiety can come from.
1: I know that I have some... Connection with families that have kids in younger sports or their younger age and they're trying to decide should I commit my kid to playing this sport and all this time and all this commitment? And it's it it's like they are trying to have an advantage for that child when they hit high school. Like, well, they need to know how to play the sport now, so that by the time they get to high school, they have that advantage to be make the team. And it's like parents are making all these decisions when the child is in elementary like second grade third grade fifth grade all because of what they know is coming down the line if that child even wants to play this particular sport and so even when you mention the expectations of a a parent it's like we place that on, on our children as well and and yeah it's like we complain that they're anxious or stressed out yet we're filling those schedules as well
0: i'd be really curious and i've wanted to know this for a while i wonder if there's a a study out there done on this i've wondered a little bit of a side note but going off what you said jason i've wondered how many students really actually love the sport that they're playing in middle and high school or have they just grown up into it and it's just something that they do because i just recently heard an interview with tom brady and uh it was randy moss who was interviewing him and he was like how long are you gonna keep doing this you know how long are am gonna keep playing football and he goes what motivates you he's asking time Brady, what motivates you to come in every week and stay on top of your game and his without hesitation he goes it's my love of football i absolutely love it and i wonder if we've just more and more programmed the joy out of sports so the expectation thing is definitely a factor Another factor is physical factors. So where does anxiety, where can it come from? It can be a physiological issue. It could be the types of food. It could be...
1: Well, you mentioned sleep, where yep. if they're completely engaged in their schoolwork and sports and activities, sleep is eliminated, and that is a physical factor.
0: For it could, sure. Yeah, it could be allergies. It could be lack of water. I know these sound really simple and basic, but when you look at it, one of the questions that I ask my kids all the time, if they're starting to feel sick or they're not feeling wherever well, I see them acting kind of sluggish, I always go, are you drinking water? Are you outside in the sunshine? Are you you know, are you eating right? is your what's your rhythm of life? I think we we tend to sometimes look at maybe the not so obvious and go back to what are the physical factors that might, at least, if not be the source, could be contributing to these feelings um, of anxiety. So it could be physical as well.
1: Another one would be something that's not very seen, and and yet it would be something to be considering, is the medical condition, a, a chemical imbalance in the, the brain. We don't know, and obviously parents aren't necessarily all doctors, and so it's hard to decide, is this a physical factor should more water be uh, induced or is this a chemical imbalance and this needs to be checked out and and I I think as we discuss this further as a, a parent or as a teacher or as a youth leader who is involved in students lives you start to you evaluate some of the things that these students are saying and the conditions that they are in and so If it gets a little bit more extreme, maybe it is a medical condition, a a chemical imbalance where they are experiencing this anxiety disorder.
0: So we mentioned three things, expectations from within or without, um, physical factors, medical condition. The fourth thing is abuse. That can obviously come in several forms, but if students are experiencing some sort of abuse in their life and they're going through that and the trauma that that causes, that definitely can be a source of this anxiety that they're experiencing feelings of, of a lot of times it's just feeling worthless because of what they've been told or how they've been treated. And it's tragic to, to consider and think about And when you look at the numbers, they're they're staggering sometimes and overwhelming to look at the the number of students that are experiencing some kind of abuse in one form or another. But that's another source as well. I know
1: somebody who is going through a very anxious time right now, and the thoughts that are going through his head is that you are a failure. And it stemmed from being a child, told that he's a failure. So he's a grown man, and things are not happening the way he thought would happen. And all that gets repeated in his mind is, I'm a failure. I can't do this. And so when we think what happens as a a child that is abusive language to a child and they grow up and how that can cause this anxiety disorder and just this uh overwhelming sense of dread because the the voice in their head is repeating what the voices were going on when they were growing up
0: and that abuse might even not be direct in terms of things that are happening, but things that are not happening. For example, if a student maybe feels or is, has been abandoned by their family or their parents simply because they're literally not physically present or they're not emotionally or in other ways present, they're around, but they're not really there, if that makes sense. And I think it over and over in my experience with, you know, about 30 years now working with students and, and noticing that for young men as they grow up, is just that feeling where they need to have someone believe in them. Does someone really believe in me that I believe that I have what it takes? And for for young girls growing up, it's, does someone really value me? Does someone love me for who I am? And again, those are generalizations, but in my experience with working literally with thousands of students, I've seen that over and over, and having three daughters of my own, I would say, my number one thing I feel like as a dad to provide for them is that feeling that they are loved unconditionally and valued and treasured unconditionally. And so it could be some sort of abuse. The last one is an inherited trait
1: or a learned behavior. You know, you talk about what the environment that a student is growing up in and if their parents or caregivers are more anxious, more stressed, more high strung. Um, I don't, I don't want to say like type A versus type B or type C. I don't even know what type B or C is. <laughs> yeah, we I mean, only know what type yeah. A is. But type A just like really just uh, very structured, and and that can cause you know this this uh, result in a student's life of just having to be uh, always on point, and that can cause anxiety and and almost this like you got to wash your hands and now make sure you're doing this and now make sure you do this and don't do that and be careful with this. And and that can cause this OCD feeling in a student's life because they're like, what am I allowed to do? And so that level of anxiety is automatically raised because of the environment that they grow up in.
0: And they could, like you said, Jason, get that from their parents or relatives around them. Maybe they have those those tendencies the parents do and that gets passed on. And I know... You know some families just tend to be a little bit more um high strung i think you use that term or yep. or can just be more prone to worry and some could be less i grew up in a family that was and my dad was very influential for me personally but he was just not really stressed out by a lot of things he was like just always gonna work out and that's kind of we laugh around here in the office that's kind of <laughs> how i live my life it's, it's like, a mirror image <laughs> it'll all work out it'll just take care of itself and it does but uh I've always felt like you know worrying is just not something that comes naturally to me, but um, but you know definitely seen other families where that's the opposite. So a lot of times when we see um, OCD, we may recognize it even within the family. But I can tell you also in my experience working with lots and lots of families, students are might be really struggling with things like OCD and things like anxiety, and you'd never know it. And that's what always continues to surprise me, thinking of a few students in particular over the years I've worked with where everything seemed to be going just perfect for them. But then their parents or them personally confided in me and said, I'm really struggling in this area where I'm always replaying something in my mind over and over that I should say or do or avoid. You know, it could be things like you mentioned washing your hands or germs or or just certain behaviors and traits that that I I wouldn't know unless someone opened up. So as you're thinking about students that you know, especially if you're a youth worker listening to this right now, and you, want, you might think, oh, I know a student, and they just seem to have everything going for them, but you may not realize they may be dealing with some pretty serious anxiety issues and just would never know. So it's always good to remember not to assume.
1: It's the picture of the duck. And that's something that comes to mind. It's the calm on the surface, but paddling like crazy underneath. It's this, you may see a situation in a student's life and go, oh, they have this calmness about them, but they're internally just paddling like crazy and trying to keep up and trying to move forward. And it's, it's, it's this picture that you think like, at least it comes to my mind. And yet you don't know exactly what's under the surface until you, you ask or start to investigate a little bit more
0: that's a great picture of of that and thinking about that in terms of the duck i like that so in this first segment here we've been talking about you know what is it where does it come from let's talk about what triggers it you know there are certain things that might trigger anxiety within us or within students you know the first thing that i think of is social settings and we see this you know at nts we We have hundreds of students together all summer in these settings. And every once in a while you'll see a student sitting in the lobby during one of our sessions or sitting on the sidelines during the games or just kind of off to themselves. And for some of these students, it's those social settings that just put them on edge for whatever reason, again, we don't know, but it might be something um, that you just don't really understand but you know something is happening internally.
1: I know what a tendency is as youth leaders, we want everybody involved and engaged and bring in and don't wanna leave anybody out. And yet sometimes we cause more harm because those students that can't quite handle the large group, the large crowd, maybe the loud noise and the, the craziness of it wants to step away a little bit. And all they really need is an adult to come alongside them and not necessarily invite them in but to stay with them on the outside to just kind of create that calmness in that that situation because not everyone can handle a crowd. And, and are we willing to recognize that?
0: That's one of the things that I noticed um, that I, the last couple of years being involved in the youth ministry in my church was I would always kind of hang around the back. And it was very, very common for a student to just come back and sit We had this kind of adjoining room you could see and observe what was going on inside but but it was it was connected it was part of the same room but it had just kind of partitioned off a little bit and i would go back and and just sit and hang with them talk with them make them feel you know welcomed and and have that conversation and i think when we think about the rooms that we meet in that's an important thing to consider is what does our room look like is it allow for certain students to have that space that they might need to just kind of disconnect, but stay engaged somehow.
1: We can assume that they are apathetic and want to completely disengage and not even want to be there, but maybe it's just that social setting that they are not willing to fully embrace.
0: So another thing that triggers it is just this feeling of of feeling unsafe. And, you know, this is a, a very important thing for all of us. And that's one of the things that, you know, you hear about that you're born with. You born, you're born with this, um, thing within us that wants to feel safe and that could look different for a lot of different people you know jason one of the things that came to mind when we're thinking about this is years ago at nts this is over 10 years ago we were singing a particular song and i remember exactly what the song was and a student um we found out later ran out of the room because she emotionally reacted to the song, you're nodding your head. I, I you totally remember. remember the situation. Yeah, and it was—it's one of the most tragic things I've ever heard. But that—I want you to imagine—you know—we're there in this beautiful, wonderful worship moment, singing this song. Actually, the song was "Amazing Grace," and that made her feel unsafe. We found out later the story was she was um, brought into a foster home, and with—I um, believe it was a pastor was her part of her foster home situation or at least they were believers and they would literally tie her down and sing the song over her as they physically um, would would beat her and they would sing the song and it's just one of the most sick things I could even imagine happening but in that worship setting of all places at a place where you know we designed the whole thing for them to feel loved, Who could have ever imagined? I mean, it just blows my mind to think that a student could experience that. But this young lady felt unsafe. And that's, that's a reminder for all of us listening that, you know, you just never know what might that trigger might be for a student where they feel unsafe. And uh, we have to, again, just have wisdom and discernment about us to, to not quickly jump to conclusions. But To try to find out more and let these students know that they're safe and they're loved
1: speaking of being safe i think another aspect of feeling unsafe is from the aspect of fear yeah fear can definitely play a factor in and it's a a physical thing but also a mental thing of what are you fearing what are the outcomes that you fear what could possibly go wrong um things that you fear the reaction of a parent or a loved one Uh, by not meeting expectations Um, there's this aspect of fear that is emotional but it it can be so strong that when you are in a situation where you're fearful that it triggers that anxiety even more and and it can just exasperate the situation
0: now we've been talking about what anxiety is and where does it come from what triggers it Jason, the next segment, let's talk about what do we do as parents, as youth workers, as pastors? How can we help students deal with anxiety? Let's talk about that.
1: I think the biggest thing is we. those who are listening may not be trained clinicians. And so we ask the question, In all that's happening, the, the more awareness of mental health and especially with youth pastors, youth workers, parents, teachers that aren't necessarily trained in the mental health aspect, mm-hmm. the realm of the brain. It's like, what can we do when, I, I don't know if I am qualified to say something to speak into their life on this topic. And so uh, youth specialties came out with an article that I came across that had five simple ways to respond to teens with anxiety and depression. And I thought it was really good to bring into this podcast because it, it allows those who are not trained and know specifically about the brain to be able to still respond to to adolescents and students with anxiety and depression. And one of the things that they said was recognize the warning signs. The, it's easy for us to know almost the baseline of a student and there's fluctuations of moods and, and you can know when somebody is a little off from that, that baseline, or maybe their personal appearance or the the friend groups that they are surrounding themselves with are a little bit off than what is normal and if you sense something is off then it it probably is and so just recognizing those warning signs would be one aspect of, of being able to step into it
0: the next thing that you especially this article they mentioned is managing stress and perfectionism so stress can be a trigger students are under pressure And that can lead to this idea, if if they don't know how to manage that, of saying I'm not good enough, which you know can lead into into depression. And I think I think helping them understand the word manage, you know, I like that word. I think sometimes though it can it can be like a human-driven thing. So we got to be careful of that. I think helping them though understand it, you're not going to be perfect. You need to keep things in perspective and be realistic about your life and what you can do and i think um you know helping them understand you know god can give you the grace to keep your expectations real um so helping them manage that stress and perfectionism is the next thing they mention
1: another thing is initiate and validate be present but not intrusive stay engaged listen with empathy and respond with curiosity make yourself available Research suggests that compassionate and validating responses by trusted adults are critical to reducing students' anxiety. And so it's ultimately just being present and engaging with, with what they're saying and being empathetic to their feelings and, and saying, not writing it off and not dismissing it, but to to step into that realm.
0: Next thing they mention in this article is be an authentic model. And that reminds me, Jason, there's an old saying, teens don't, care how much you know until they know how much money you have to spend on them for food uh no it's more like until they know how much you care
1: about their hunger
0: oh yeah well okay
1: and you're willing to buy more food
0: yeah (laughs) i can see what you're thinking about today i
1: i think that's what the statement is right you know
0: that's yeah it's an it's a that old. you know we've heard that statement probably using different scenarios but they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them, not necessarily about how much money you'll spend on food. Right. But that does help show how much yeah, you care. Yeah, yeah. I see where you're going Yep,
1: with yep. That's the only way you can show how much you care. Yeah,
0: caring, it does mean you're just being authentic with them. And we say this all the time. Students know if you're being authentic. They can just sniff it out. I think more than any segment of society, they're really looking and paying attention way more than what we think. So being authentic is really important.
1: Lastly is employ coping skills. Anxiety and sadness are part of life. Stress is a part of life, but we can help students respond rather than just react to these things. Uh, One way is is testing the logic. Are the thoughts that are going through their minds factual and realistic? Because sometimes it can be very irrational and not based on any facts and you just have to Help them test that logic. Is it logical for you to go through this? Does it make sense? Another way is to recognize automatic thoughts. What are some of the automatic thoughts uh, coming through their minds, the the thoughts that influence the moods? I mentioned somebody who grew up thinking that they're a failure. That's an automatic thought when he's in a situation feeling like he's a failure and and recognize that and, and instill truth, God's truth into who they are. And lastly, is like this mental practice inviting students to imagine how things will be in the future when the situation improves, just giving them the ability to look beyond the the situation, the the barrier in their mind and say, this is what the outcome could look like once this passes. And it's just a practice for not only students, but anybody dealing with this to go, maybe this isn't as bad as it is or what it appears to be. Um, And then when this is... Dismiss this is what life could be like, and just having that practice of foreshadowing and thinking
0: of the future. So we looked at this list from this article in U Specialties. Let's talk about Jason. This is not exhaustive, but four things you and I have talked about, four things that we think is important to remember when it comes to students and anxiety. Number one is that social media and smartphones can be a source of anxiety.
1: We are hearing study after study after study, and you probably have also heard about this. As well, but smartphones and social media are just not that great for adolescents and the developing brain. And the more that adolescents are spending on online and, and in front of screens, there's studies where adolescents spending more than seven hours a day on screens are twice as likely to have been diagnosed with anxiety or depression as those who spend an hour a day. And even moderate use of four hours is also associated with lower psychological well-being than one hour a day. And and among 14 to 17 year olds, more than four in 10, so 42% of those in the study who spent more than seven hours a day on screens did not finish tasks, meaning that they just were not willing to engage in the task at hand. And about one in 11 of 11 to 13 year olds who spend an hour with screens daily were not curious or interested in learning new things. And so those are quick snippets of stats that we can look at that just reinforce that the exposure to smartphones for a child or a developing adolescent is going to increase anxiety in their life. And so we need to be an example, but also
0: help regulate that in their lives. So, you know, when thinking about things that we should remember about students and anxiety, I think it's really important for us to emphasize God's peace and grace to these students in their lives. We we can tend to go from a very psychological even physiological perspective about students and anxiety and in many ways we should. but I think sometimes we definitely should not forget or underemphasize the spiritual life of a student and, and all these aspects. And you know what I tend to find Jason is that there's some some circles in in you know student ministry work that, tend to lean more on the the humanistic approach. Hey, let's let's manage it. Let's help them understand it from a psychological perspective. And then there's people on the other end of the spectrum that tend to maybe what you might consider over-spiritualize it, where all they talk about is you need to read the Bible more, you need to pray more, and give um, what might seem to be very simplistic answers to complex issues. And I would say I think we should tend to... to find ourselves in the middle more we need to think okay it's important for us to know the psychological things and you mentioned that we're not clinicians we don't know all the ins and outs we're not counselors we're a lot of us we don't do this professionally in terms of you know being able to diagnose things but but we need to be thinking about what we can understand there and then we need to go to god's word we need to be speaking truth to students we need to allow them to hear scripture you know, this is a small thing, but but I've been in some circles recently, and there's a great Bible project video about the public reading of Scripture. You know, when I was in Israel a few years ago, went to a local synagogue there in Israel, and was reminded that their, their Sabbath services are basically just sitting and listening to the Word of God being read. And I think I just have been thinking about that recently, that, How much time have we spent in our youth ministries reading and engaging the Bible? Them. I was recently in a conference a couple weeks ago, California, where they had the public reading of Scripture involved in the sessions, and we read through the whole book of Esther throughout four or five sessions there. We just sat and listened to it being narrated. Now, that may sound really weird, but I think sometimes we underestimate that. What if students could just be hearing the truth of God's Word about God's peace and His grace in And over their lives, I think that would really help them. And that leads us to the next one is that um, we need to remind them of God's promises. You know, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Paul writes, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus we need to remind them of these powerful promises in Scripture. Again, there's a balance to be had. We shouldn't, I don't think personally be, you know, super psychological with students all the time. And we may not just only want to think about the spiritual component, but we've got to remind them of the power of the promises that are in scripture throughout, you know, the entirety of the Bible.
1: And I don't think it's just handing them this verse and saying this will solve your problem you know it it, it seems so simple but when you are in a situation and you have this verse memorized and you are reminded in your mind do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god so then automatically you are starting to present your request to god and saying god help me instead of getting all anxious about it. And all of a sudden that peace that you're talking about is pouring in and you, you sense God's presence and there's this elimination of anxiety. And so it's not just a, a here, take this pill and it will take all that away. It's like, but when we have God's word on our mind and we start to play that truth out in our thoughts, it, you start to sense the peace of God and, and the situation doesn't seem so dire anymore.
0: So social media and smartphones, being aware, that can be a source. Number two is emphasizing God's peace and grace. Number three is remind them of God's promises. Number four, Jason.
1: I would say more practically of what you are doing as a week-to-week programming to have consideration for different types of students. Design your programming around the different types of students to acknowledge that some students aren't going to always be engaged in the large group games or the large loud worship but to allow your programming to to almost cater to different types of students and whether what that looks like i don't know exactly because all types of groups are different but there is in society we are we are told that we need to be independent we are the two Things that we are faced with of living is independence or codependence, and so codependence seems so negative, and uh, who wants to do that? So we choose independence, but I think that is also wrong. And I think for us to be able to design our programming where community and reliance on each other is important, and it's not like you have it all together, you need to figure it all out by yourself, but to have a, a community of people that will walk alongside you and and be open to discussing this and incorporating that into your small group discussion, incorporating that into the large group gathering and being able to say a community is important, not your your self-help and you are on your own, but to to rely on others. And it's not a bad thing to be dependent on other people when we're dealing with this.
0: So thinking about how you design your programming around different types of students, Jason, you're one of the best Programming people I know probably out there, when it comes to student ministry environments, you know, we we talked a little bit earlier about the design of your room. That's something to consider: is your room designed to help meet the needs of different types of students and what they're dealing with? The things that the programming elements—is it all loud and maybe you know very kind of in-your-face type things, or is it more quiet? I think having a mix of of those type of things. Some students really love the game aspect and some really love the quiet maybe more reflective programming elements so those are things to think about i want to remind all of us that we've got invaluable resources every single one of us in our youth ministries to think about this and that's our students we need to be asking them and say what can we do to to program our nights our events to be able to reach all different kinds of students and we need to be thinking about that so a great way to end today, we thought, is listening to the words of this student. What he had to say when we asked him about stress and anxiety. I think he gives us some really good thoughts to consider when we think about students and anxiety.
2: We are not complete without Jesus in our life. And there's always going to be some, some form of void or just hole in our heart that's not going to be full if we don't have Jesus. And I feel like it's just a prime example of, of just a hurt that is naturally inclined to us that, that we can't beat without Jesus. I feel like we've just kind of become this society where like all of our problems, all of the things we go through are just tuned back to this mental health issue that like is a real thing, but at the same time like just because you have a rough day or just because you are stressed out doesn't mean that you have an actual mental health issue. I just think that's sort of just the the lack of Jesus in our hearts that makes us try and find some sort of thing to accredit that to. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.